Um, but also too, uh, gas money was pretty, pretty slim, right? So I didn't have that. So I'm literally jogging in my office. I was eating like canned foods because it was just like, oh, that's wow. cheap. And I, it'll You're put in a tough place. food in my stomach. And we were doing laundry. My, my girlfriend, whom somehow miraculously agreed to become my wife later on in life, several years later i don't know how with all this was going on because i I like let us down this path uh we were doing laundry in my bathtub because it was like well the apartment i lived in there was no just like tony robbins did he do that (laughs) yeah i didn't know he did yeah wow there's a story that he shares about how he was yeah dead broke and he was yeah you know doing his dishes and everything in the bathtub because that's crazy we didn't do dishes we had a dishwasher (laughs) so we didn't do dishes but we did we did we did put like detergent in the bathtub and you know hang it up and stuff like that Mm -hmm. We we did that whole nine they say that life is full of opportunities right so why are so many of us dreading getting out of bed to face another day I know what that's like. My life was full of conflict, stress, failure, and fear. When I got cancer for the second time, my choice was simple, change or die. Today, I love waking up. I love my life. I love owning my own business that is helping people learn and grow. So how do you unlock that kind of transformation in your life? Let's discover the answers together as we hear from ordinary people like you and me and their extraordinary success stories. My name is Donna Gammon, and this is Power to Grow. Welcome everyone to the show today. I have a very special guest that I know you guys are going to love. He's going to share a little bit of his backstory. I know a little bit more about where he's at right now. He actually has a business. He's a founder of Startup You. He hosts the Startup You podcast and Startup You TV. So today on our show, we have Chris Michael Harris. So Chris, welcome to our show today. Thank you for having me, Donna. Happy to be here. Awesome. So Chris, take us back. We know that you didn't start where you're at with all of your shows and your TV and your podcast. Take us back to kind of where you were before all of this. Can you share a little of that? Yeah. So um, it's interesting because I, I, I was going through my first startup. I was actually building a company myself and kind of was always finding myself saying like, I wish I had known this six months ago, right? <laughs> and, and realized like, man, somebody could actually get some benefit out of the stuff that I'm experiencing. So that kind of launched all of this stuff that exists now, which is me educating people on how to actually build startup companies, whether that's on or offline, right? So I do coaching, mm-hmm. I'm a performance coach, I do all various things as far as educating people out of how did the, the failure rate in entrepreneurship is just extraordinarily high, right? It's way too high. So and, true. and the fact of the matter is, is that we make it harder than it has to be in so many ways. Mm-hmm. And it's never been more the case than now with all the distractions, all the, the shiny bells and whistles that exist online. But if we really go back even prior to that point, kind of the, the, the genesis point of what I'm doing now was wrapped up in a lot of, um, I guess, challenges, right? So, so if we want to go way back, grade school, I, I just was always saw outside of the nine to five hour for pay model, right? So even like fifth grade, the summer between fifth and sixth grade, um, my friends were at the pool hanging out. 
I'm out there mowing lawns, right? My whole cul-de-sac, I'm mowing lawns. I made like two or $3,000. My dad helped me get I a credit that. card. So I'm like building up my credit and all this stuff. Yeah, so I got a really like early taste of it. And I've always been very uh, industrious in that sense. Um, went to high school and it was kind of more of the same. We're doing, you know, just lawn care stuff, pressure washing driveways, gutter cleaning, shrubbery and stuff like that. And uh, ended up, uh, one of those requests we did, I think we made like $16,000 between my junior and senior year, just the, the summer between. But the biggest request that came through was a moving request. It was an elderly couple that just had a really poor experience with a big box brand moving from Michigan to Georgia. And so they wanted a different, more local, younger type experience, I suppose. So they hired us. We had no experience with moving. We were candid about that. And they're like, well, you know, you guys are young and strapping and strong and what have you. And so we got by, we hired a bunch of our friends and what have you. And, and it was like $8,000. We did this move. So anyway, so I get to college. And I'm, you know, doing side hustles. There's some crazy stories, just crazy stuff, like flipping clothes on eBay that we bought at Saks Fifth Avenue the day after Thanksgiving, so Black Friday, that we made like 40, we bought $43,000 worth of clothes, we made $84,000. So you kind of take out your cost. We doubled up on it, basically. And I'm 20 years old with my 22-year-old mentor and just wheeling and dealing, doing all kind of crazy stuff. Didn't tell my parents at all. I was like, I can't get home for Thanksgiving this year. Like, why not? Like, I can't, I, like I had to come up with some fabricated reason as to why. <laughs> and then finally I called them from Times Square and I'm like, I'm in New York City. I'm, my, I'm 20 years old, right? So just bananas, crazy stuff that I've just always engaged in. That was just adventurous to me, right? It was like, this is fun. This is exciting. Mm-hmm. But at that time though, and maybe you'll kind of resonate with this, Donna, entrepreneurship at that point wasn't like something that you did. Mm-hmm. Like, it was something you made money on the side but like Steve Jobs starts businesses. Like you, you, there wasn't this opportunity that exists now that the internet has created where so literally true. there's a viability that anybody can just put something online and like actively get business for it. It didn't cost crazy amounts of money or you had to buy a storefront, have like a really ideal location. It was very risky, right? Mm-hmm. So we, we've, we've completely turned that paradigm on top of its head now, which is amazing and I love that. But anyway, so- all these, all the while I'm doing these side hustles, I'm personal training, I'm doing all this stuff like, you know, make to make money outside of the hour, hour for pay model. Well, I see these girls, this apartment complex I lived in downtown Athens, Georgia. I always joke and say it was designed by a kindergartner with a crayon. Because if you look at the way the building is configured in relation to one of the longer hallways with the parking deck, it's like an eighth of a mile. I'm like, why would anybody have ever designed this building? And it was just really, there were other reasons why it was weird. It was just a really wonky building. But moving out of it was a huge pain. So I see these two girls, and I'm a young single man at this point. So, you know, of course, I'm going to insert myself in any kind of situation that might involve me talking to young females of my age. Uh, And I see these girls, and they're moving one of those, like, big fold-out sofas down the hallway, right? And, you know, underneath the belly of those, it's like heavy steel, right? It's like, they're really heavy. So I grab my brother. He was with me at the time. I don't know where we were coming from, but bottom line is we saw them. So I grab one side, he grabs the other. We loaded in the truck for him because that's the last item they had to move, but they were really struggling with it. So the mom was like so gracious. She was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you guys. Grateful. She was like, I can't believe you guys did this. Like, thank you so much. You totally went out of your way. So she gave us like 50 bucks a piece, I think. I want to say it was something like that. And I told my brother, I'm like, we're on to something here. Uh, let's go to the lease office and make a little flyer and drop that off, what have you. So within the next 45 days, we moved. I think she told us, she referred us so much. We, we moved like 30% of that building. And we made something like eight to $10,000. My brother's friend that lived in Athens, Georgia, I went to UGA, um, just so happened to have a grandfather that had a moving truck that he just wasn't using. 
randomly. I mean, who has a moving truck? Just yeah, like, I was just gonna so, say, what are right? the it's just like, that? It was like the, it was like God in the universe, like whatever, just like a line is like, this is going to happen. It was total serendipity. So anyway, so I graduate, I go off and get a real job, quote unquote, because that's what you did. But I, but I got a job as a traveling salesman, right? You know, straight commission, stuff like that. Uh, so my brother kept doing the moving thing because he's two years younger than me. So he's like, well, why not? Like, I'll keep doing that. And, and the friend with the moving truck, obviously he was involved. And I'm coming back on the weekends, but I'm also giving them money for like marketing assets and shirts. And they're pitching to sorority houses and their classmates and like recruiting their friends to try to take it to the next level. Well, the next summer, I think they did like something like $25,000. And meanwhile, I'm in this job and I'm driving all over the place. And I think my commission percentage rate was like 5%. So like I have to make like a million dollar sale. Right. So like have to even be able to like have a decent pay for myself. Right. And I'm like, this is crazy. Like, this is crazy. I have this thing blowing up and in and, and kind of the the um I guess the straw that broke the camel's back in my mind. It was one of those defining like fork in the road moments, where, like the ones you always remember. And you don't know why at the time, you don't know what's gonna be one of those moments. It's like where were you when 9-11 happened? Like everybody knows, but at the time, maybe you wouldn't think that'd be the case. Maybe you would. Uh anyway, so my boss was like two years from retirement. I think he retired like three years later, literally within like two to three years retired. And nice guy, but he told me, uh, you're never gonna be fully respected in this business until your hair looks like mine. And his hair was legitimately as white as snow. And I'm like, I'm not, I'm 20 something years old, like early 20s. Like I'm not trying to put in 40 years just to gather some respect, just to earn some respect, you know, like that just didn't, again, it just tied into what I've always kind of known, right? That like, it just didn't work for me. And I always want to qualify this down and I didn't do it before. I want to make sure I do it now. I love nine to five people. Like if you're listening to this and you're nine to five, thank you. Because people like you allow people like me to shine, right? Like if it weren't for you and we were all entrepreneurs, we would all murder each other. Like we would, it, the world would be insane, right? It just, it wouldn't work. So it's those people, those, those, and this is actually funny. If you read Gino Wickman's book, um, Rocket Fuel, he talks about how there's integrators and there's visionaries. And most people think that visionaries are less prevalent than integrators. Like the people just like get this stuff done and you know what? The fact of the matter is that 23% of the population showed the, the abilities or the propensity to be a visionary. Only 2% showed integrator. So if you can find you a good integrator, a good nine to five that like really understands the nuts and bolts and how to put things together, like it's rarity, right? You're, you found a unicorn in somebody's backyard. Like it's very, very rare. So I always qualify it because I don't want to make people feel like entrepreneurs are just superior in any way because we're not, we're crazy. Yeah. <laughs> we are we're crazy. Uh, and that's why we do what we do because we're literally insane. So anyway, so this, he says this to me and I was already having some issues with the job, you know, of which I mentioned, but just other things like entrepreneurs have a way of seeing uh, the way things should be done and the opportunity before it exists, before they even realize that it, like they don't realize that other people don't see that what they see is so obvious, right? Like to me, it was so obvious the way that business should have been going and they weren't. And the funny thing is, and I give my, I'm not saying this to give myself any credit, but they're literally doing now, 10 years later, what I said they should have been doing 10 years ago, right? It's just, you, you don't, re Russell Brunson says this, he's like, people that have, you don't realize what your superpowers are because you've always had them. There's no reason why you would think they're superpowers, right? So as entrepreneurs, we just see things unfolding before they actually happen. So anyway, so I, I, I was very frustrated and fighting for my vision of what I wanted and what I wanted to do and what I wanted to sell and didn't get the support there to back it up because they're like, dude, we're not doing that right now. Like, it doesn't make sense for us. So anyway, so bottom line is I, I quit the job. And I'm like, well, what am I going to do? I got this moving thing. I didn't go to college to start a moving company. That's for sure. 
but whatever it is what it is so i quit i moved back to college town and i just pursued a moving company well what i learned quickly was in the next eight months um i'm in really bad shape because you don't just quit your job i always tell people this little little teachable lesson teachable moment here and i'll have a lot of those that are based off mistakes i made so any teachable lesson i give to anybody it's because I did it wrong. All right. So just, I'm not lecturing anybody. I'm, I'm giving you sage advice from my own uh, mistakes, but you need six to 12 months of savings. I had like six to 12 days of like, like it was like the business had to work or the business had to work. Like there was just no option whatsoever. Right. So we did relatively well. Uh, we, a good thing is, is that we'd already put in we'd already started to like build a reputation. We had already started to like plant some seeds. It wasn't like I was starting from scratch, right? We'd already been doing it as a side hustle. Mm-hmm. So we did relatively well. And, and during that season, moving college kids during those transitional summer months, that was like harvest season, right? Like you, na- that was, you made like 85% of your revenue because that's when college kids are moving. They're not moving during the semester unless they failed out or, you know, whatever. Right. Uh, so any, and, and at that time, families were too reluctant to hire us because they're like, these are kids in college. Like, no. So anyways, so, so I'm having a little bit like, okay, how do I, so we made $48,000 in eight months from the time I quit my job in February up until not bad, not bad, but here's the deal. Low margin business. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But for a college kid, that's not bad. Supporting myself on this, Mm -hmm. on this plus growth requires cash. So I'm not only funding the overhead of operating the business, which is obviously burdensome because you got to keep spending money to, to, you know, you got to have an office and I had employees and I had to get insurance and all these various things. Right. But then on top of that, funding myself and then anything we want to do like advertisement and stuff like that. Right. So, so by November, I'm like flat broke. Right. Cause like I said, that's harvest season during the summer months. Now I'm in November and it's been months that we're not making much money at all. Right. So I burned, we, we burned through that cash pretty quick. And I, I remember I was, I was jogging to my office because I, I literally had a, had a leak in my tire and it was like, oh my gosh, like I can't, I can't keep, I, was, I literally, I couldn't afford to replace it. So I'm, I'm just, every time I needed the car, I would just go to the gas station and put quarters in it and then pump up my tire and then just hope it stayed for at least a couple of days. Um, but also too, uh, gas money was pretty, pretty slim, right? So I didn't have that. So I'm literally jogging to my office. I was eating like canned foods because it was just like, oh, that's yeah. cheap. And I, it'll put- in a tough place food in my stomach and we were doing laundry. My, my girlfriend, whom somehow miraculously agreed to become my wife later on in life, several years <laughs> later, I don't know how with all this was going on because I, I like let us down this path. Uh, we were doing laundry in my bathtub because it was like, well, the apartment I lived in, there was no- Just like, like Tony dry. Robbins. <laughs> did he do that? Yeah. I didn't know he did yeah. that. Wow, there's a story that he shares about how he was yeah dead broke and he was yeah you know doing his dishes and everything in the bathtub because that's didn't... crazy we didn't do dishes we had a dishwasher <laughs> so we didn't do dishes but we did we did we did put like detergent in the bathtub and you know hang it up and yeah. stuff like that mm-hmm. we, did, we did that whole night so yeah so things were really bad um and then i didn't know this but during that busy summer um of this first year I had gone to meet Kim's my my girl. That's that. So we're not calling her girlfriend or wife. Her name's Kim. All right. From okay. the, from this point forward. Now, now we now she's Kim. <laughs> she shall be known as Kim henceforth. She graduated. Yes. Oh, I love so her. we had gone to meet her parents. I hadn't met her parents. Her, she she's from Puerto Rico. Her parents from Puerto Rico. So I talked to them, but I never met them. We've been dating like mm-hmm. less than a year at this point, right? So so not not terribly long. So I got a speeding ticket on the way down there uh, to meet them, and I paid it off. But what I didn't realize at the time 
was Georgia had passed this law and you can Google this and I swear you can fact check me here. It's called the super speeder law. And effectively, and I hope they, they shot this down. I hope it's not a real thing anymore. I don't live in Georgia anymore, so I don't know. But basically what it effectively was is that if you were going over a certain mile an hour, I think it was like if you're going over 55 in a state road or over 85 on a highway or more than 20 miles an hour over the speed limit in either of those situations, uh-huh. it was called a super speeder violation. Meaning once you paid the fine to the local municipality, the state would actually send you an additional fine because you were in violation of the super speeder law. Okay. So I paid fine. This was like, this was like a few months after it was enacted. Right. So Uh I had heard about it, but you're not like who sits around and be like, okay, the law in Georgia, you know, like you're not too busy (laughs) the law changes in your state. Like if we're really being honest here. Right. So I got a ticket and this was like May that I got the ticket. So right at the beginning of that busy like summertime. So I just paid it and I had moved to a smaller apartment. I downgraded because I was like, this, I'm going to be broke. Like I can't afford mm-hmm. the place I'm living at. Right. I told you by November, I was flat broke. So that's November. Right. And I made a decision at that point in November when I was broke, we we're doing all that crazy stuff. I took, it was Kim's birthday and I couldn't afford to buy her dinner, let alone myself dinner. Like it was so embarrassing. My younger mm-hmm. brother had to pay for us both. It was so embarrassing. My family was there. Everybody was there. My parents were there. And I couldn't afford it. And my brother had to pay for it. It was so embarrassing. So I'm like, this is it. Like, I have to make this work. I have to figure this out, right? Like, we have potential. I just have to figure it out. I have to make it grow. So I was doing those things and researching, like, how to build a WordPress site and, like, blog and take advantage of all these things that we now know as digital marketing today that weren't so prevalent back then. I'm not a dinosaur, but it was still on the, like, the very beginning of, like, what we know to be digital marketing today, right? Uh-huh. But by February, I get pulled over, and we were at, like, a group doing s'mores on a Saturday night. Oh, no. And on the way home, I saw this cop was tailing me. And I'm like, why is he See where this is going? Why is this guy tailing me so close? Like, why is he, what's he doing? And Kim and I are like kind of freaking out a little bit. I was like, I can't think of anything. Like, I don't think my taillights are out. Like, I don't think I'm speeding, but she's talking. And I'm like, you know, when you're watching the rear view and you're like just frantically like hoping that he like turns lanes and like follows somebody, right. you know, and he's <laughs> not turning lanes. And so finally, like, we're out of light and I turned and he pulls me over. And then another cop soon thereafter came up behind him. And I'm like, well, this doesn't look good. And they were taking a long time when they got my license and stuff like that. And he was like, uh, Mr. Harris, can I ask you to step out of the car? Well, obviously at this point, I know what's happening, right? I put two and two together. So Kim, like I look at her face and she's like, obviously mortified about what's happening and stuff like that. And he's like, you have a suspended license for a violation of a super speeder or whatever he said, something to that effect. And I'm freaking out. I'm like, I paid it. I paid that fine. I paid. And lo and behold, I had, but not the super speeder component because they mailed it out to the apartment that I lived in, uh, not the place I, I had moved to. And even if you put an affording mailing address, they will not, the mail, this is a, again, another life lesson. They will not forward those government documents to a new place in that capacity, right? So I never got it. Wow. Ever got it. So here I am sitting in jail. I'm broke. Thank God. It was literally like <laughs> total serendipity. But I had just had a move that day that I was still doing the moves myself at this point. Like, because there's no point to hire both movers, right? right? So I would go with the guys and like, you know, whatever. And it was literally like within $20, the exact amount that I needed to pay this, to pay off, to get, to bail myself out of jail, literally to bail myself out of jail. So I had a suspended license for like three months, right? I'm like going through the process to like get it back. I went to the courthouse. I'm like, this is what happened. I promise you, like, I'm a good person. I don't like do these things. I'm like, I'm not a criminal. Like, <laughs> you know, and he's like, I get it. We're seeing this a lot. It's a new law. People are getting adjusted to it. Just pay it and I'll expunge it from your record. No big deal. I paid it, but kind of a big deal because we're broke and we're like trying to figure things out. Right. Right. So within a month, um, from that point forward, I, all this work I had done learning digital marketing, like we went from the fourth page of Google to number one overall 
like within a matter of four to six months, number one overall in that town, not, not nationwide in that town. Right. Oh, Google awesome local. though. That's still great. It was amazing. So all of a sudden now things are like really picking up. I'm like, Oh, it was worth it. Cause in that moment in jail, I can't sit there and tell you, like there wasn't a point in time where I'm like, I got to quit this business. This is crazy. Like this, I was doing first we're doing laundry in the bathtub. Now I'm getting arrested. Like this is like, this is not the life that I'm trying to promise this woman. Right. So I'm sitting there in my office, Donna, and I swear like another one of those moments, but I got a request to come in to move 316 bedrooms. And it was like, it was like a name that looked like it was like from an, like a foreign name. Like it looked like it was like, I know now it was a, it was a, it was a Chinese name, but it was a name that like would be conducive to maybe like somebody just doing like bots online or something, right? Like not a, a request you would typically expect to see, but it had a Miami area code they listed as the phone number. I'm like, okay, this, this might be real. Despite the fact that's a ridiculous amount of mo- of rooms they're asking yeah. to move, so I call them and they're like, "Hey, you know, we're a furniture manufacturer. We provide, we do fully furnished. So the trend in student housing at that time, and it probably still is the case now, is fully furnished apartment complexes. So when you're a college kid, rather than bringing grandma's old oak furniture that weighs seven thousand pounds or that big fold out sofa right. that girls move, you move in and everything's there and it's glorified IKEA furniture." So they needed somebody beyond the point of sale to receive all the shipments from China, which is why they came from uh, the request came from more of a, a, a you know Chinese driven name, what have you, uh, mm-hmm. or Mexico, and you put it together and put it in the rooms for them. So I'm like doing the math, like how do we even price this thing? And I stayed up till like four in the morning for like weeks, just like how do I price this? I'm like I'm gonna get this contract or I'm gonna get this contract. So it ended up being sixty thousand dollars, which was more than our entire previous years of revenue. And I put so much into it. I say I, we, my team had put so much into this to do it right and to, to execute. Like we took a white collar approach to blue collar industry, which is kind of why we did well to begin with in, in the moving business, which is another little life lessons, by the way. Like you don't have to be in a sexy industry. Go make another industry that really sucks. What do they call it? My, my, my mentor, he always tells me this. He says, if it's, if it's male, pale, and stale, that's a good industry. So old white dudes, old white dudes, basically, like they're just not innovating anymore. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's that, that was the nature of that industry. So there was major room for disruption. And that's what we did. We just took a different approach to the industry. So we did such a good job that this company's like, we were the only people that ever completed a job for an installation job successfully where they didn't have to come in and like clean up a mess. So they're like, hey, we've got something here. Let's ride these guys. So we quickly made half a million dollars. By like October, this was like April. By October, we had made half a million dollars. And then by the next October, we had made 1.2 million. So we just exploded in growth. We were in 32 states. I had hundreds of employees. I'm literally at one point drove the distance from New York to Los Angeles and halfway back in 10 days. I'm flying red eyes all over the place. I mean, I could not build systems. I could not hire. I could not manage cash flow. We could not. Like we, it was just a... It was like keeping up with growth, just the best of our ability. Um, and so it was great. It was like, hey, I've arrived. I've made it. Things are going well. Like, this is going to be amazing. We're going to franchise. I had these plans to like raise money and get to 50 million and 100 million. And, you know, like I had some really unique ideas. It's like the Ikea of the moving business, right? Like very systematic. Yeah. And, and Ikea is not easy to put together. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not. Always. No, it's not. But, but we had some really cool plans to like really revolutionize the moving industry. That was going to be really exciting. We're working with $100 million companies and like just a lot of like wow. five of the seven major players we were doing business with. And I'm in meetings with him. I'm like a year and a half ago, not even like I was literally doing laundry in my bathtub. I'm literally like losing weight because I couldn't afford to eat. And now I'm having conversations with you about multi hundred thousand dollar contracts. Like I just talk about imposter syndrome, right? You're like, why am I here? How, how, how is this happening? So we kind of, at that point, uh, I was getting ready to raise money and 
you know, we started to expand and had opened up an office in Atlanta. This was in Athens. I had opened up an office in Atlanta and I started like really, um, started really hitting like a, kind of like a dead end was probably the best way, like hitting a wall was probably the best way to describe it. And I, we had known that like health wise, there was something there for a while. That's kind of something I, I glossed over throughout the story, but, um, was diagnosed, had been like the ADD medications and antidepressants, anti-anxiety, stuff like that. And this was all the way back to like grade school or, or just thereafter, middle school, high school, around there, somewhere around there. And um, I just, no matter what I did, uh, I just just couldn't get through the day, right? Like just no energy, mental and brain fog, the typical like chronic fatigue stack type symptoms now and, and like you can't continue to scale a company unless you have all the energy so bottom line is there's a, a comedy of different things that happen um but effectively by this was january we got a cease and desist order from the georgia department of public safety because they basically were saying that moving companies could no longer operate with rental vehicles rental trucks right so you couldn't go rent a u-haul or budget you had to actually own your own vehicles which was crazy because you that can is crazy things. You can look at construction sites and they use cranes, right? And it's like, well, they rented that crane because yeah. you can see the rental information on the side of the crane, but why can't? Huh. Anyways, yeah. it is what it is. So we're going through that those hoops, right? The growing pains of like becoming legitimate. Like huh. I always call it no man's land because you're between being a startup and being a real company, right? Being a real boy and you're not there yet. And it's really a tough place to be that I always caution people about because you have to be prepared when you get there. You have to have resources. You have to be ready. You have to have systems and processes. You have to have funding. You have to be ready. So- Anyway, so we're going through that. Attorneys are going back and forth. My attorney's going to be talking to you know, the state and this and that and going through that process, what have you. So meanwhile, I am like, okay, not feeling well. Got to find, got to figure that out. But in the meantime, I need to figure out some capital because we're trying to expand. And now I'm having to outsource all my jobs because I'm going through this issue with the Georgia Department of Public Safety. So I'm making like pennies off of these jobs with all the over I had. Yeah. So you see like the bank account every day, like doop, 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 like just uh -huh. depleting. So by May... Uh, I was 29 by May, uh, finally broke down. My wife is like, look, Kim, sorry, Kim. She's like, you have got to get this checked out. Like there's something wrong and not to be TMI here, but I was maybe having a movement for those that aren't putting two to together, like the number two type thing, uh, maybe like once or twice a month at this point. Oh, wow. Like so it just, things were just really not insane. working anymore. Yeah. Uh, without like heavy cleansers, right? And obviously that that's not that's not sustainable long term. No. So go to this place. She's like, this place is called Progressive Medical Center. It's more functional medicine because I was kind of done with MD at this point. I'm like, I just I didn't want to be on the antidepressants because oh, they have all these crazy side crazy side effects. And I, like I know because I was living them, right? Like my gums would bleed when I brushed my teeth because of one of the antidepressants I was on. I'm like, I don't want this anymore. This is nuts. Mm -hmm. So they do a bunch of labs. They spend like two thousand dollars, and they're like, look, bud, like you are a mess. Uh, they're like, you have such a bad case of intestinal dysbiosis. And I can explain what that means in a second. But we've never seen somebody for your age in 35 years of practice that's in as bad shape with dysbiosis as what you are right now. Like if your good bacteria is the cops and your bad bacteria is the bad guys, your cops just packed up and went to another town. Like that's how bad it is. So that's wow. why things were shutting down and not working. And you're 29 at this point? 29, yeah. So we learned uh, through that experience, right? Um, and kind of addressing, like, I, it was like, well, do we just go? Because my father's, my father has Crohn's, 
So that, so I'm kind of already predisposed to have some digestive. And there's like a lineage, right? Of like IBS, IBD, ulcerative colitis, stuff like that in that side of the family. Um, so it's like, well, I can go that route, but I've seen what that route looks like. Prednisone, steroids, yeah. you know, you, 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 like you're, you're good for a while. You kind of can mask it for a little bit, but I'm like, I'm in my twenties. Like, I'm not trying to live the rest of my life on these drugs, you know? Mm-hmm. So we start pursuing this natural route. Meanwhile, I've got a company that's was once looking promising. Now it's not looking so promising anymore. Uh, by I have to ask you real quick before you go too too much. Yeah, further. sorry, I'm just I'm a rambling mess over here. So just tell me. With stress in your life with what you were diagnosed with. You said what now? Your diagnosis did it have anything to do with your stress that you yeah. were under? Yeah. So, so we kind of tied a lot of things together. So okay. the stress was like the end of the road. So there's a couple of things uh, if okay. we want to really go down. Cause I think this is, so recent studies have shown that only two out of 10 people have what they would deem to be a healthy gut. And I think we all know that like normal ranges are not ideal ranges. Right. Uh-huh. So we are very, we, and it's, it's due to the sad diet, right. Which is the standard American diet, AKA the sad American diet. Right. Or the stupid American diet rather is what we call it. Stupid American diet. <laughs> so, um, Started, didn't, so didn't, I didn't breastfeed for more than like a week, which that's where you really, so, so coming through the birth canal, that's a huge part of adopting your mother's, your mother's healthy bacteria, building your microbiome, Mm -hmm. but also then breastfeeding is a huge, like you're literally reinforcing your gut microbiome every time you breastfeed. So it's important that if you didn't breastfeed or if you have a child that is breastfeeding or, or in that stage of breastfeeding, or if you're thinking about it, like that's very, very important. Next would be heavy antibiotic usage. So when I grew up in Ohio, you know, before I moved to Georgia, before I was like 11 or 12. Um, and I had a lot of upper respiratory issues for whatever reason, right? Strep throat primarily. They use okay. really heavy antibiotics. Antibiotics do not discriminate. They destroy everything in their path, right? So I just com- <laughs> just completely depleted my gut, uh, my gut bacteria. Then my, my father worked in um, the, the company I worked for, the, the, the sales job I had when I graduated college. That was the company he worked for. They sold menu board solutions for fast food slash QSR, aka quick serve restaurants. So think you drive through the drive through, you order off the board, has the canopy so you don't get rained on, or you order off the board, the menu board indoors. His company made those and he sold those, right? So I'm spending a lot of time throughout my youth interested in business, visiting Taco Bell's, visiting Chick-fil-A's, visiting whomever, right? And while I'm there, hey, you want a taco? Hey, you want (laughs) So we spent a lot, we, we, and, and then not only that, but when you're busy and you've got soccer practice and basketball, or you're playing multiple leagues and you're busy, mm-hmm. Hey, you know, it's quick and easy. Let's just get, you know, put, you know, let's just grab some food on the way home or whatever. So we definitely grew up in an environment where we ate the sad, stupid American diet. Right. Cause I'm not blaming my parents. They, you know, a lot of the stuff we didn't know back then. Right. So then you start to see a lot of those things manifest, uh, asthmatic. That was a huge sign when I was in like early or late grade school, early middle school, uh, but then a lot of the fatigue, lack of focus, lack of concentration ability, uh, a little bit of temper, uh, some some issues started to manifest where it was obvious that there were some gut problems happening unbeknownst to us, right? We just had no idea. Well, then, uh, so you're talking about all this fast food throughout high school or all the way through until college. Then obviously in college, you're really not eating the way you should. Plus now I'm at UGA and anybody that knows anything about UGA, we have fun. It's a great school. We have a good time. I was drinking three, four days a week, right? Like having a good time. Now you're talking about the stress of a startup business. And there were times, Donna, where like, I didn't eat food, like I mentioned, because I'm stressed because I don't have money. So I'm just drinking monster energy drinks and like taking all this crazy. So it was, um, it was the perfect storm 
to a large degree. It wasn't like, like, I can't cite one specific thing, be like, okay, well, stress of business call. That's kind of unfair, but that was like, there was a lot of factors in your life, right? Right. It was the cherry on top of a massive shit storm. Like that's just Mm -hmm. (laughs) right. Right. The best way to sum it up. Anyway. So I'm like, well, doctors told me, and I kind of, I missed this part, but doctors are like, dude, if you keep up at this pace, um, you're going to be gone by 40 at best 50. Like cancer's a real, they're going to be like a real thing in your life, right? If you continue down this path, like it's not going to be good. So talk about a wake up call. You never want to hear those words specifically like ever, let alone when you're 29 and like trying to build your dream. And like, you finally have made it. Everything you've worked for is like working out and like you, you know, whatever, despite all the, you know, bureaucratic issues. Like I was like, it's not a big deal. We'll, you know, we've had challenges before we'll overcome this. So I go off, I pitch like, I, I've always said the number is 725, 725 investors. I, it's something around there. Don't quote me exactly on that number. But between May, the diagnosis, until like August or almost September, I pitched 725 investors, which is bananas to me. Like I didn't actually get face-to-face with 725, but like I contacted That's 725 investors wow. because I'm like- That is a lot. But we just needed the capital because it, like I could not keep doing what I was doing by myself at the rate that I was doing it. And and that was a mistake that I made building the company because you need to take affordable steps, right? People think like, oh, growth, that's exciting. And like, yeah, it is. But revenue isn't growth. Revenue is you sell well. It's an indication of growth. But there are other levers in your business that you have to pull outside of just making sales. I'm a good salesperson, but I almost sold us to death, right? <laughs> so I had to learn really quickly that like sales does not equal immediately equate to growth. And that was a big, big mistake I made because then all of the pressure was on me for the deliverables and or my team whom was not prepared nor abundant enough to do what we were trying to do, right? So now I'm trying to acquiesce, raise money and do things the right way, like taking two steps back to then hopefully maybe take a few steps forward kind of thing and maybe be mm-hmm. where we were before, right? So August 26th, I'll never forget that day either. I was four days away. So this was a Thursday. It was 2016. It was a Thursday. By Tuesday, I'd gotten several commitment letters from investors, like people that are interested. I mean, you've if you've gone from zero to 1.2 million in like less than 36 months, you're going to get a few interested oh, eyeballs. Yeah, for sure. You know, like people were like, hey, like if for no other reason, I'm curious to hear how you did this. Mm-hmm. Although it's not the big tech fancy thing that I really want to invest in, I'm still curious how you did this. So I get a call. It was like in the afternoon, like four or five o'clock in the afternoon. And, and my right-hand man at this point was like, hey, man, um, called me. Uh, are you sitting? I'm like, Oh crap. So my guys were on their way back. We had a residential moving job from, uh, from Orlando or somewhere around the Orlando area of Collis. I, I don't, anyways, on the way back to Georgia, had an accident on the turnpike. Ooh. They were changed. So if you've been to Florida, you know, this, like they were turning to go into one of those like median of the highway on the turnpike gas stations, right? They put those gas stations in the median. It's actually like a really cool, it's like in and out kind of thing. Like it's really fast. They were turning cause they're about to run out of gas guy behind them in a truck sped up right so past them was behind them turned to the 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 passing lane the the left lane while they're merging lanes over slams into the truck wedges underneath it and rams into the gas tank of the truck underneath so it's like right underneath where my guys are sitting in the in the moving truck now thank god they were almost out of gas because you can imagine what would happen if they slammed into a gas tank that's full of diesel fuel of a moving exactly truck. Exactly what I was thinking. Yeah. So oh. it drove them off the road. They, I mean, my guy said, like, we missed several trees by like a matter of inches. So when he calls me, Brandon, the, the right-hand man guy, when he calls me, he's like, they're currently using the jaws of life to get these people out of the truck. 
and they're going to lifelight them to the hospital. Well, here's the deal. Here's the deal. This is the part that like, so I told you about the bureaucratic stuff and how we were bleeding out. I got to a point where A, I'm not really supposed to be doing jobs because they gave me a cease and desist, right? Like I was having to at this point because I had to, because I'm like, I'm gonna lose my business. Like I, while we're going through this bureaucratic nonsense and getting through this red tape, like I have to, at some point I have to, to just ignore it and just go do jobs, right? Mm -hmm. So now I'm like, holy crap, I'm gonna be in big legal trouble for this. On top of that, I couldn't afford to pay for my renewal of my work comp insurance. So if my guys get hurt in this accident, again, I'm in big, big legal trouble because now they're going to be like, well, as a business, you have, I forget the name of it. It's a legal term. My attorney would be able to tell me if I was able to like actually call him right now and, you know, pull a lifeline, <laughs> but it's called like um, something fiduciary. I think it's something like fiduciary duty, right? Like your LLC will only protect you if you maintain your business in a way that is conducive to what a business should maintain itself. I think it's called something like along the lines of fiduciary duty. Bottom line is if you do things like not having insurance, it will, your, your LLC will not protect you, right? It'll come to you directly. So it's really important that you do that. But I didn't do that. My attorney knew this. We, we had made like a collective decision, like, hey, like while we're figuring this thing out, like we have to do business or there will be no more business. Bottom line is though, if these people, any of them are hurt, like I got big problems with the law, like big, big, like I could go to jail kind of problems, right? Like for real, for real. So fortunately, and thank God, like thank the Lord that we had purchased budget trucks, like biggest insurance package. So those poor people that slammed into us, it was kind of a joint responsibility thing. Like they sped, but our guys didn't use their turn signal. So it was kind of like a 50, 50 thing. Mm -hmm. But from what I understand, and I wasn't there for all the, you know, discussions and stuff like that, because the insurance companies handled that and I didn't handle that, but they paid out a full million dollars. The policy was a million dollars. They pay, they settled out a full million dollars, my understanding. So the bottom line is now I got to go sit to this investor four days later, right? I'm in, I'm on my way to Florida at this point, like right after it happened. And I've got this investor follow-up meeting on Tuesday. And I'm like, how, like, what am I going to tell this guy? <laughs> I got to tell him like, Hey, by the way, I love your money, but there's some people in the hospital that might die and I don't have my insurance. And now I got all these lawsuits potentially pending, like probably oh not going to vote well. For me. What timing? Yeah. So, so what happened? Yeah. So the attorney's like, henceforth, right? This business is closed. <laughs> like I'm taking the decision out of your hands pretty much. Like the business is dead. We're not, you're now in the, the point of, of defending yourself. Right. Wow. So I had taken some bridge loans from, they call it friends, family, and fools. If you raise money from, you know, individuals, <laughs> friends, family, and fools. And so I had raised money from friend, uh, acquaintance, high net worth, hundred bucks or hundred thousand dollars, hundred bucks. I wish it was hundred bucks, hundred thousand uh, dollars that obviously we were now going to no longer be able to pay back. Right. We had borrowed it based off the commitment letters that we got because then it was finishing due diligence. Once you get due diligence, it was one, we were raising $1.5 million and we had two commitment letters. So it was like, Hey, okay, in the meantime, let me take this bridge loan. I'll build in some interest for you. So it's worth your while. You're gonna make like $15,000 for me to just basically have enough cash for two months until we close this investment deal. Awesome, we both win. Not so fast because now I got to tell this investor, which I had to, this is what happened. Obviously he backed out. He's like, hey man, good luck. But if I, the minute I give you money and I take an equity position in your company, I'm just as liable for these acc this accident and these lawsuits as you are. So now uh, I got multiple people that are gonna, probably going to sue me personally, not to mention my own employees, that if they found out that my work comp had lapsed, they're probably going to sue me as well, right? And now I've got this bridge loan that I took of $100,000, and 100% they're going to sue me because now they're not getting their money. And I had literally invested $100,000 in what I needed to be compliant with what the state had requested, which was standard market work comp policy, um, 
then then purchase the truck, then get the truck policy. Totals $200,000. Well, what startup do you know is liquid enough to spend $200,000 without raising money in some capacity? Right. Anyways, so I'm deathly ill at this point. We moved far away from the city. We were living in Atlanta, like I said, so I moved far away from the city. And I was basically just, we were just licking our wounds because now we're basically like trying to avoid getting evicted because we have no income. We've been putting every last hour we had just to keep the business moving. My wife, Kim, sorry, Kim had... She had her own business at this point as a service provider. She was a social media marketing manager. She had transitioned into basically, and I told her, I was like, we got a million coming in. We're good. Just do what you want with your business. Like change it. Cause she wanted to be a course creator, like sell courses online. Hmm. So I'm like, now's the perfect time to do it. We're right. We got a commitment letter. Talk about counting your chickens before they hatch. Another life lesson. <laughs> so I'm like, we got 1.5. We're good. Like there's no reason they're going to say no to this. Like we all we have to do is diligence. It's good. We're going to get this deal. It's done. Plus we got a hundred thousand dollar bridge loan in the back. So if it doesn't work out, we can go a little bit longer. It's fine. Do what you need to do with your business. Well, now we really needed those clients that we fired off. So not good. So literally on the way to Florida to go deal with the accident, she was launching what is now the Business Lounge, which is her business, which has like 30,000 monthly students and has been an amazing multi-million dollar company that she built. And I remember we were both like fighting through tears on the way, driving down the turnpike to deal with this accident. And she's like finishing on her laptop in the passenger seat, finishing the Business Lounge. And... Oh, it was it was like one of the worst, but also best moments of like bonding between the two of us, right? Of like, yes, this is horrible. And we feel like we're in the bonfire of our lives. But we feel like this is going to work. This thing you're doing is like really going to be amazing. And we ended up launching it like that next week when all this crazy was going on. We launched it and got our first like 70, 80 monthly recurring customers paying like 50 bucks a month. And that was like that was it. We were like, we were rich, right? It was like, oh my God, we've got our basics covered for. We're not going to live under a bridge. We're going to be fine. We're going to be good. And a lot of people always ask, like, why didn't you go to your parents, right? Like, why were you doing laundry in your bathtub when you call your parents? It was one of those things. It was kind of probably hubris where I'm like, I don't want, I don't want that. I told you so, right? But also right. too, like wanting Maybe to stand. All of us. Yeah, but like wanting to stand. That's exactly. like our last resort. Don't go exactly, to your parents. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so like you want to stand on your own two feet. So we were really determined to do that. Um, so then I'm, I'm, we moved away and basically I spent 2017 in bed. I mean, if I'm being totally candid, I spent 2017 in bed. I was sulking. I was um, defeated. I, my entire identity was wrapped up in being a successful entrepreneur. Uh, I feel like everybody was ashamed uh, or, or rather was like laughing. And you know, I, it just was a very difficult time. Uh, I was 100% suicidal, definitely had suicidal thoughts often because now you're talking about uh, an existential crisis in your life coupled with like serious health issues. Cause don't forget those health issues were still very, like it was at its worst at this point. Right. So I'm like, what do I do? Right. Like, what do I do? So like taking the trash out was like a big day for me. I'm like, Hey, big day. Went to Kroger, bought some groceries, took the trash out like big day. Right. So I had started this podcast though, around the time, which is now the podcast that I run start of you, which was entrepreneur hour at the time. And I'm like, somebody has to be able to benefit from this craziness that I've gone through, right? Like both the, the highs and the lows, right? Somebody has to benefit from this. So within like two weeks of launching that show, we were trending top five in the world on, at the time, iTunes, new and noteworthy, oh, business, business health nice. and education, right? So I'm like, okay, I've got something, right? Like I can do some, I can have a conversation once a week for an hour. Like I can do that, right? Uh, albeit it wasn't enjoyable sometimes, but using that trending status, we reached out to, we've had some pretty big guests. A lot of people recognize some of the names we've had on the show. Uh, Damon John, Barbara Corcoran, Kevin Harrington, all three from Shark Tank. Uh, Jack Canfield, author of Chicken Soup for the Soul. Uh, Marie Forleo for online people. Grant Cardone, Mr. 10X. 
uh, Guy Kawasaki. I mean, we've had some really Dr. Josh Axe, Dave Asprey. I mean, we've had some really, I hate naming names. I always say this. I hate naming names because I always forget somebody that has had like a significant influence in my life, right? Through doing that show. So I hate naming names, but for those that you may recognize those few, there's been many like that that have come on the show. And what's amazing is like, I get to call these people in many cases, we do like strategic partnerships or we like do affiliate launches together. And so that's like, honestly, the biggest blessing I, I, that has been such a powerful tool for me. But, but one of the things that I realized, Donna, throughout that process was there was one common denominator that I kept seeing and they just kept popping up over and over and over again. They had all been through hell. And in many cases, they had all been through worse than what I was going through. It's like, whatever you believe in, right? I'm, I believe in God. But you can call it the universe. I think it applies universally regardless. Knew exactly what I needed in that moment, right? Like I needed like wisdom and, and, and uh, guidance and just normalizing what I went through. Like entrepreneurs fail. Like that's what we do, right? Like you're going to fail way more than you succeed. And that's just the reality of it, right? Um, the key is to just get up one more time than you fell down. And so the stories that I was hearing and being in that, I mean, there were many times I had to like, thank God we're doing video. I was only doing Zencaster at that point. It was only audio, but like, I would be like crying literally like doing these, conducting these interviews because I'm like, it was like therapy for me. You know, it was like this. I agree with you. I, I interviewed the most amazing people and I, I have to pinch myself sometimes. Right. Like, oh, this is so yeah. cool. Yeah. So, so that was really powerful, you know, in that season of my life, I really needed that. And then it was just four years of just battling, right? Like learning, immersing myself in health and wellness. Like, what can I do? You know, it's great to say you're going to do things a natural route, but there's a price with that and that. <laughs> And it's time. Uh, you got to educate yourself. You have to know what foods are going to do well for you, what supplements you should take. Like, so you're talking to a lot of different doctors and you're going to uh, getting a lot, you know, getting different opinions and you're running a bunch of labs. You're spending all this. I've spent, I don't want to how much, at least seventy-five dollars to $100,000, probably more uh, on this journey. But just determined to figure it out because I just knew that like for whatever reason, there was, this was like in a time that I needed to invest in myself, right? Like the business was ready to run and I was crawling, right? Like had I, had I been investing in myself, the asset that you are to your business, right? I was the asset in a startup business. Like that's it. It's you, right? If you go there, but what are you going to do? What happens? Yeah. You know, what happens is what happens with me. Nine months, your business is gone. And that was from a million dollar build to nothing in nine months. It's crazy how, how fast it can happen. So I really learned like, look, you got to invest in yourself. You have to have more healthy lifestyle habits, but also too, and I really felt this strongly. I watched my father suffer so long with Crohn's. It was like, I need to win my father's war, right? Like I need to do that. I need to win it for myself too. But I really started to develop empathy and I had a really tough upbringing with my father. Like at times it was abusive relationship. Um, and I had a really tough time forgiving him for a lot of the things that he did. And that season like really gave me so much perspective, not to excuse the things that he did, but to like understand the place that he was in and how poorly he felt, time. you know, like you just have a better appreciation for like how hard it must've been. And, and not only that, but it was hard for me. And I feel like I had answers. He didn't have answers. The answer was take this drug and hopefully they don't have to remove your colon, which is where he was at. They're like, if you don't stop bleeding, we're gonna take your colon. It was like, or just take this drug and pray that it gets better. Right? Like I had answers. So I'm like, I need to, I, like, for the sake of my lineage, I need to beat this thing. For, for myself, for my family, for everybody, like, I need to beat this thing. 
So that's what I did. I just, I've invested in myself in the last four years. And now I'm, I, I feel like I've completely rounded the corner. If you look at my labs today, you'd be like, this is not the same human being, like literally in no way. So just one example, my testosterone was like high twos mm -hmm. at 29. That's like absurdity. Like that's like crazy low. That's ridiculous. Low threes, high twos range. Now I'm at like 850. Did it naturally, completely naturally. That's like a 600 plus point increase completely naturally. So that like, if a doctor look at that and didn't look at the name at the top of the chart, they'd be like, this is not the same person. Right. So it's been right. a complete transformation in every way possible. And I realized, and a friend of mine told me this, and I'm going to borrow it from him because I think it's such a powerful thing to say, but he was like, your mess became your message. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of what I advocate for now is this, this is the, this is the, the essence, right? We all try to make entrepreneurship fancy. This is the essence of it. Exactly. Take and a I problem and then derive a solution from it. Right. And help people and right. provide something of value right and exactly. so we all have a story we all have a place we started and exactly. uh, you definitely had a bumpy road so tell yeah. us about your business you're doing now yeah so it's called startup you uh, as we mentioned um it's basically like we've we have realized uh both my wife and i as i mentioned kim uh as i mentioned we've she ended up building a, a multi-million company before she, i think she was 28 29 i did it at 27. So like we have something here outside of just being crazy people, like there's something here. We just need <laughs> yeah. to crystallize this, right? We need to make it to where people, it's a repeatable process. Mm -hmm. So that's what we've done. So hers is the business lounge, mine is startup you. We have very complementary skills and, and expertises and what have you. So we do a lot together as like affiliates, so, so to speak, unofficial business partners. Um, it's basically helps people navigate business growth, like from how to, okay, I think I want to do this, but like, I have no idea if this Even is a good idea start. or how to come up with an idea or how to use. So a lot of people don't know this. There's so much meaningful data online that you can look into and decide like, okay, where's the river of opportunity for this idea, right? Or like finding the niche in a saturated market, finding the area of opportunity of an unserved or underserved market, right? Like there, there's discernible data out there where you can actually find those things, validate it, uh, understand your ideal client avatar to such a degree that we can then take some of that language, I call them power words, we can take that same language and what we learn about the market, regurgitate to that to them on a sales page where effectively they, the objections that they're going to have are countered mm -hmm. because you're able to literally just say things in the words that they've reiterated to you. Like it's just a beautiful way to mechanize, obviously from a marketing standpoint and an idea validation standpoint, but how to build those assets what assets are important, right? So people are like, well, I got to have a big Instagram following. It's like, no, you, do you really? Have you looked at the CTR? Do you really know that Instagram is really driving traffic to your website? Because I can tell you right now, I look at my analytics, I live in my analytics, and I can tell you what's driving traffic to my site and what's not. And I can tell you what strategies are working and what strategies are not. So we've kind of like really romanticized this idea of like being Insta famous or having these massive followings. And the fact of the matter is, that business I built, it would hit 1.2 million. I had like 1,200 total followers on both Twitter and Facebook. Instagram was like in the infancy stages of existence at this point, right? Like nobody, everybody's like, what's Instagram? So you don't need a massive following. There's a way that we teach people how to do it. Marketing is important. I'm not dismissing that. And there are ways you can right. go about doing it. But we really teach you like, what's the foundation of getting your business off the ground, making money, transitioning out of job into business, because that's a big aspect of it. People stay stuck between like no man's land. Like I have a job and I work full time, but I'm trying to build this thing on the side and I'm doing that for like five years. Eventually you flame out. Eventually you're like, eh, like this is just a thing and like I need to focus on my job and I have responsibilities and like whatever, but I can't leave because then I have like Chris and I'm doing laundry in my bathtub. So I can't do that. So we've really taken everything we've learned. 
how do we make a repeatable process for that, right? And how do we crystallize it so other people can do it too? So that really is a lot of what we started with Startup U, which our flagship program is called Startup Launch Factory. And it's literally everything I just described. We're going to have- I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to- um, have you, we're going to have to wrap it up because yeah, my no problem. granddaughter's up and Please. yeah. So I do want to ask you a little bit about um, how they can find out more about you. I also have another interview at five. So that's yep. another reason. Yep. We'll clip that out. So don't worry. Um, no, not an issue. So tell me a little bit about your business and how people can get a hold of you. Yeah. So if you go to getstartupu.com, it's getstartupu. Uh -huh. You can learn more about Startup U on social media. I'm at HeyCMH, like hello, HeyCMH. Okay. Uh, and that's it. And then the last question I have, or last favor I have of your audience is people don't realize how difficult it is for people like Donna to put out content like this consistently. There's a lot of work that goes on in the back. There is a lot of work. See. It's true. So it takes you 27 seconds. I promise you, if it's not 27 seconds, you can tag me and say I'm a liar. I promise you. <laughs> but go whatever podcast app you're on, hit subscribe and leave her a review because those things really help. The algorithm mm -hmm. podcast players help her show rank yes, higher and get does. more views from it's people true. like that. So I expect one from Power to Grow. Yeah. <laughs> so yes. Um, so I always ask really quick, what is the one thing that made the biggest shift for you that yeah. you did that like propelled you forward? Yeah, this is going to sound kind of cheese. And so I hope people can appreciate it. But whatever it is that you believe in, you have to have a belief in something bigger than yourself. Like that, at the end of the day, that's what pushed me yeah, through all I these agree. various things, which is leaning into that. And mm -hmm. every time I've gotten myself in trouble, it's because I got away from that. So yeah. You have to lean into that infinite divine wisdom, because ultimately, like that is your source of enhancing everything about you, and all of the amazing epiphany moments that you're looking for and getting through those tough times. Perfect. Chris, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for sharing your amazing story. We will make sure and have all your links for, and we also have a freebie that you're giving away too. I know it's a checklist. Yeah, ultimate um, startup checklist. So if you just want to know what are the X's and O's I should be doing to start a business, you can go to uscdownload.com. Awesome. And again, we'll have those in the show notes. And Chris, thank you again for being on the podcast today. I really appreciate you. Yeah. And maybe we'll have you back sometime. That'd be great. Sorry, guys. I'm a talker. So I hope I didn't throw too much information oh, at you. That's okay. Or, or You're good. Like, they're probably like, God, thank God this episode is over. So I appreciate you guys <laughs> listening. And thanks for having me, Donna. I appreciate well, it. Well, Chris, we appreciate you. Thank you again. Right. My name is Donna Gammon, and this is Power to Grow. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you've enjoyed the show, please leave a review now and I will give you a free download of my blessed morning. This is something that is worth so much. It's what I use to get past my past, if you know what I mean. Until our next show, thank you again for joining us. This is Donna Gammon and this is Power to Grow. Thank you.